This is The Guardian. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week, he has a candid conversation with guests, including prime ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. No, you're not imagining it. COVID is definitely back. Now, you might have noticed the word COVID creeping into conversation more and more. Well, cases are on the rise. Here in the UK, infection levels have been going up fast. They jumped 30% in a week at the end of June. Figures from the Office for National Statistics show just under 2.3 million people were estimated to have the disease in the week to June the 24th. It might not seem that surprising when there are two new sub-variants, BA4 and BA5, on the loose, and many of us are heading to bars, pubs, festivals and sports events as the summer months roll on. But unfortunately, hospitalisations with COVID are also rising, and they're expected to keep going up in the weeks ahead. So how bad will things get in this latest wave? And are these endless cycles of rising and falling infections what living with COVID looks like? I'm Ian Sample, The Guardian's science editor, and this is Science Weekly. Graham Medley, you're Professor of Infectious Disease Modelling at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Let's start with where we are with COVID right now. Can we call this a new wave yet? Absolutely, it's a new wave. So what we've seen in the past almost year is that new variants have arisen uh, with various characteristics such as higher transmissibility or the ability to overcome existing immunity. Now with these new variants, BA4 and BA5, they are causing a new wave uh, at the moment. And how much are cases going up? They're going up exponentially, and that means they sort of double in constant doubling time. There might be some suggestion that they started to turn over uh, and reach a peak in terms of infections, but hospitalizations are still increasing. I think last time I looked, we were up to sort of a thousand a day of people who were being admitted to hospital. Of course, some of those are 
with COVID rather than of COVID. So the infection is not necessarily causing the underlying disease. Uh, nonetheless, it re does represent uh, quite a serious burden on care uh, and hospitals. Uh, and that is expected to carry on increasing for another couple of weeks at least. So how bad do you think this current wave is going to get? Well, predicting waves and the height that they get is really very, very difficult. So this wave, I suspect, will be, in terms of hospitalizations, pretty close to as bad as at least either of the two Omicron waves that we've had previously. But uh, there really is a lot of uncertainty. And what are we expecting to see in terms of the impact on deaths? I mean, I don't know if predicting sort of how many hospitalizations will lead to deaths is different now because of the position we're in. Yeah, because of the different variants. So different variants will have different, what we call pathogenicities, so different ability to cause disease and to cause death. And so it's much harder now than it was at the beginning to be able to link between infection, hospitalization and deaths. But I think the vast majority of people in the United Kingdom have already been exposed to uh, one of the previous variants. Uh, and so the individual chance of going to hospital and especially of dying is really, really much, much smaller. So I think that the numbers of deaths caused by the virus are, are really going to stay quite low, much lower than they have been. Can we walk through what the drivers for this wave might be? I mean, we might have hoped for some respite over the summer, but it seems not from this latest wave anyway. Is it all being driven by these Omicron subvariants BA4 and BA5? As far as I'm aware, yes, it is. And, you know, the seasonality that was discussed about whether or not viruses could be transmitted in the summer, I, I always thought was a bit of a red herring. Do we know anything about the severity of disease that BA4 and BA5 cause compared to those previous Omicron variants even? No, one of the big advantages of the testing that we had was that we were able to estimate uh, the pathogenicity, so how, how much disease and death these var new variants cause much more easily than we can now. Uh, so I think... I haven't seen any data to suggest that BA4 and BA5 are very different from the previous variants, BA1 and BA2, but I think it's much harder for us to assess that accurately at the moment. What could be driving the growth advantage that BA4 and BA5 seem to have, even over BA2, the, the, the last Omicron we had before this wave? Most people, the vast majority of people, have had what, at least one infection and or been vaccinated. And so a virus that is able to overcome that immunity is going to grow. Uh, and that is really what's driving BA4 and BA5 at the moment, is that they are able to infect people who have been previously infected. And what we're going to see over the coming years is that the different variants will come along that are better able to overcome that previous immunity. And eventually, not in years, but potentially in decades, we'll get to a point where most people are carrying sufficient immunity uh, that even a new variant, it finds it very hard, if you like, to find that space in the immunological geography to be able to grow into. 
In the UK, and obviously not just the UK, there are no more restrictions at the moment, really. But we're also facing a summer with a lot of events, you know, people trying to catch up, really. But music festivals, we've got Wimbledon, we had Glastonbury the other week. How much do things like that play a role? So one of the things that I think we have, you know, as scientists failed to do is to convince people that large events are no more dangerous than many small events. So if everyone who had gone to Glastonbury had gone to a festival you know, that was 5% of the size, so a much smaller group of people, then you'd get the same amount of transmission than everyone going to Glastonbury. So the large events themselves aren't particularly difficult in terms of transmission it's the contact that people make between each other and whether they do that in their back garden with their friends or they do it uh, in Glastonbury uh, really doesn't make that much difference. I wonder if we could look forward a bit now Graham I mean we sometimes hear scientists say that Covid is eventually going to become like a common cold. I mean, is there any sign of the severity of disease lessening? And is that an inevitable trajectory for COVID? It's inevitable because of immunity. So the the variants that we have now that people like to say are less dangerous, um, less severe than previous uh, variants, is not quite right. I mean, the, if BA5 had been the first variant of this virus back in 2020, then we would still have had the same problems that we had with the original wild type. So it really is immunity and vaccination in particular, which are making these new variants appear much less severe. And we hear a lot of public health officials suggesting that we should anticipate an autumn winter wave. Is there anything we can do to avoid that or at least reduce its impact, do you think? Vaccines are being developed, which have a broader spectrum of immunity, so provide immunity to a wider range of different potential variants um, and boosting to prevent the sort of real waning of immunity. That's clearly our first line of defence against this virus. Whether or not we ever get back to a stage where uh, government has to take central intervention, I think, uh, is questionable. The real challenge, though, of the winter months will not just be COVID, but the combination of COVID with influenza uh, is a real possibility, I think. And is there a risk that the wave we are in now will just roll into the autumn one? I mean, it's not that long till September, depressingly. No, very unlikely, I think. Um, you know, but what will happen is people who, who are susceptible, who might have got different variants or had different vaccines at different times, those people who, who are infectable, if you like, the majority of those will become infected. We'll get to a point as we did in sort of March, April, May of this year, where the numbers of cases and numbers of infections drops quite sharply. And then we'll be waiting for the next wave. So I think that all epidemics have lifespans. And so this will be over within the next couple of months, I suspect. And do you think we're looking at, maybe not an endless cycle, but years of cycles of waves of COVID every so many months? Yes, I do. But the immunity will just build up in the population. 
um, over that period of time. But it might take decades or many years to get to a point where uh, this virus is very similar uh, to the other coronaviruses that we have. Graham, you were a member of SAGE and a key figure in terms of giving advice to government. I'm wondering, is there anything you think government should or could be doing now to deal with this wave? So I don't hold any view about what it is that government should be doing. There are clearly things that government could be doing. I think the the biggest thing that government could do if they wanted to would be the testing really enabled us to keep the virus under control as a population from uh, July 2021 up until sort of December 2021 when when Omicron wave started. And that impact of testing uh, was really quite big and kept the Delta variant at the time under control. I also personally, and I, I know there's not a huge amount of evidence, but personally think that the app, the NHS contact tracing app, uh, had a quite a big impact as well. And those two things are perhaps the, the sort of least costly interventions that could be done if government wanted to do something. Uh, but that really is their choice. I wonder if I could just get a final thought from you, Graham. I mean, for those who haven't yet caught COVID in this wave, what's your advice? I mean, is there much people can do to avoid it if they want to keep socialising with friends and family over the summer? So I'm in a position where a family member is actually uh, expecting surgery uh, at some point in the near future and can't have it uh, unless they are COVID negative. So we are actually in the process of almost self-isolating at the moment. And in terms of avoiding infection, it really is the same as it always has been, is, is avoiding contact with people. And so that's the way to avoid it if you want to. Graham, huge thanks for coming on and taking us through all of this. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much, Ian. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks again to Graham Medley. You can find a link to our coronavirus coverage on the podcast webpage at theguardian.com. And that's it for today. The producers were Anand Jagatir and Madeline Finley. The sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. And the executive producer was Lorna Stewart. Hello, Madeline here. Sorry to interrupt, Ian. I just wanted to mention The Guardian's new Women's Football Weekly podcast that launched yesterday. It's running throughout the Women's Euros and is hosted by Faye Carruthers and Susie Rack, who will be providing instant analysis from the tournament three times a week. So search, subscribe and listen to Women's Football Weekly from The Guardian wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Back to you, Ian. Madeline will be back on Thursday. See you then. This is The Guardian. Looking for your next great podcast? We live in unprecedented times. To make sense of it, what if you could learn from some of the most influential people on the planet? The podcast Tools and Weapons is hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Every week he has a candid conversation with guests, including Prime Ministers and Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists. 
The latest episode features Bayer CEO Bill Anderson. Though most of us know Bayer for pharmaceuticals, they're also focused on crop science. They're putting digital tools in the hands of farmers to get the most out of every acre. Listen to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts.